Let's be honest. We've all found ourselves mindlessly snacking throughout the day and night, usually as a means to overcome some aspect of stress, boredom, fatigue, and or maybe emotional pain. But did you know that these eating habits are ingrained behaviors that require practice, attention, and skill to overcome? If you've been trying to eat better, lose weight, and overcome some quote-unquote bad habits without having to track every morsel of food that goes into your mouth, then you're going to want to tune in to this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you'll hear the real-world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master, their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert, consultant to Fortune 500 companies and world championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today, and without further ado, let's jump right in. If you've ever learned to play an instrument, then you're well aware how much time, practice, consistency, and effort are required to even become proficient, let alone develop any semblance of mastery. The practice of developing these instrumental skills can certainly be compared to the process of improving your eating skills to the degree that in order to truly master your eating behaviors, you need to be willing to give the same amount of time, effort, and dedication. Today we bring back eating behavior coach Josh Hillis, author of the recent publication Lean and Strong for a candid discussion of the importance of and how to truly begin to master your eating behaviors as a means of overcoming the dieting mentality that so many of us have at one point or another embraced. In this episode, we talk about the difference between dieting mentality and a habit-based eating mentality. We talk about what types of eating skills can make the biggest difference in long-term weight loss, the role of meta-skills as an overarching framework for how to approach your daily habits. We talk about why and how eating skills are similar to weightlifting skills and how to effectively train them how quote-unquote intuitive eating fits into mindful eating and mindful decision-making, and plenty more. Josh has been a trainer since 2004. He's written two books, Fat Loss Happens on Monday, and what we discuss on the show, his new book, Lean and Strong, Eating Skills, Psychology, and Workouts, and his specialty is helping people with stress eating and mindless snacking. It's a pleasure for me to be able to share this interview with you, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. If you did, then please leave a five-star review and a positive rating and share this with someone whom you think needs some motivation and inspiration right now. And if you're ready to talk about how to make a hard pivot with your nutrition and fitness and you want the no BS step-by-step approach to get you there, then let's chat. Just schedule your free nutrition strategy call at bslnutrition.com forward slash level up. There's no better time to take control of your life and your health. All right. With that said, guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Here is my buddy, Josh. Josh Hillis, welcome back to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. What's up, man? It's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me back on. It's great to have you back on. It's been, I think, about three years. Um, Yeah, I was going to say, it's been a minute. Yeah, for sure. And um, so I was looking back, you did, I want to say episode 29. I'll have it in the show notes. For those of you that didn't have a chance to listen to that episode, phenomenal episode talking all about nutrition habits. And we're going to take that one step further today, talking about nutrition skills and your new book and what have you and all that good stuff. So super excited to have the opportunity to catch up with you again. And now, so that was episode 29. Now we are at episode, I think this is going to be episode like 102. Wow. So it's flying. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, some people are doing like hundreds of episodes a year, but you know what? Uh, Quality over quantity, I'd say. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, anyways, welcome back to the show. What's been going on with you the last uh, couple years? Last few years. Um, Like before the last time we talked, like the previous three years or so, I'd really been digging in on um, skills for people 
checking in with their own hunger and fullness cues. Yeah. And really digging in on, on that sort of like, like going inward thing. Since then, what I've been looking at, I, I went way back through all of my client, um, all my client notes. Um, I mostly do phone coaching. So I take notes during, during every call. And I looked at like all the other things that we were talking about that weren't that. And like, like that at the time had been like a huge leap forward in terms of how, um, when when people get in touch with their own hunger and fullness cues, it, it makes a huge difference in their relationship to food, in their relationship to the body, and the sustainability of their program. But I also realized that there's all these other things they need in terms of like obstacle planning, um, in terms of like uh, like guidelines that can help while they're yeah. learning hunger and fullness cues. And also if they're stressed out or tired, mm-hmm. um, that like having some guidelines to lean on versus hunger and fullness cues can be really helpful. And then also tackling things like perfectionism and dealing with cravings and, and, and stress eating and, and all those other things. So, so that's, that's what I've been looking at the last few years. Is this stuff that you started to adopt based on, because you just went back, you got a, a degree in a master's degree in psychology? No, I'm actually, um, I'm actually finishing up a bachelor's in psychology. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm doing a bachelor's, but I'm kind of rocking out. I've, I've got a thesis I'm going to be doing. Um, hopefully <laughs> we'll see. I'm hopefully starting some undergraduate research next year. Cool. Man. Um, and then, um, TAing like statistics and research methods and things like that. And so, um, so it's my bachelor's, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go next level. And then, uh, and then I, I am planning on getting a master's after that. That's um, awesome. But nonetheless, but, the psycho- psychological and behavioral change aspect is so crucially important. And I'm curious because, you know, you're talking about how you've, you've started to transition your thoughts and, and the principles that you're teaching from just some of the habit-based change yeah. stuff to more of the skills-based stuff. And I'm curious kind of what was the impetus for that over the last few years um, to the degree that you decided to write a book, what were you experiencing? And and I think even maybe just take us one step back to the fact that, okay, even just implementing habit-based change is different in our yeah. industry. Yeah. So, so <laughs> the idea of saying, okay, I'm going, let's focus more on your habits. Like what are you doing every yeah. day? What are the habits that are in place? How do we transition those into skills? What does that mean? But a precursor to that is, well, what else do we use? We use diets and diets right. are obviously quote unquote bad. They don't, we know from a research standpoint, they don't work. So um, how did you make that transition? I know it's kind of broad, but from the yeah. diets to the habit, habits to the skills. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of jumping ahead, huh? Um, so I think everyone kind of starts with diets. The gym chain that I, that I came up in was very much in the world of like, we actually had people fill out a form and it would like spit out like a meal plan. Yeah, right. And, um, and so um, I think it's normal to start there. And um, I found that it worked for some people and there were a lot of people it didn't work for. Sure. And, and that just kind of like gnawed at me. So, so there, there were two things. I was like, okay, these diets work for some people and they don't work for a lot of other people. And like the diets that do work, it almost doesn't seem like it matters which one. Mm, right. Like if someone is good, good at diets and there's a, there, and, and I always want to be clear, there's a percentage population that does really well on diets. It's just statistically a very small minority. Um, they'll do well on anyone. It doesn't matter what. And so I started looking at like the people that were doing well, it started to make more sense to have them food journal and start to coach someone what was going on in their lives yeah. versus like a specific diet. Yeah. And then from there, I realized, hey, wait, having them write down the food isn't even the thing. Like they're writing down the food, but then the coaching conversations we're having are about, are are essentially about their habits. Like what's showing up on a regular basis. And so um, like start to even look at like, is tracking the food actually a distraction from their behaviors? Mm-hmm. Right. And so started looking at things like, okay, we can start coaching habits, like, um, like eating more slowly or putting the fork down between bites. And it's like almost everyone that does that eats less naturally, you know, or like, like from a food content perspective, everyone that balances their meals eats less naturally. Like, like, did I need to track the, the idiosyncrasies right. of that food? Did it matter if it was paleo or Mediterranean or, keto or like um just trying to realize that like 
the behaviors mattered, the habits mattered. But, but by like, virtue of you helping them identify some of the habits that they're practicing, the number of meals they're eating, how many times they're snacking, how quickly they're eating, um, are they sort of even getting hungry between meals? By virtue of starting to acknowledge some of those they're mimicking what it is that they would experience from a dieting mentality because yeah. they're eating less food Yeah, because if they're not snacking in between meals, because if they're slowing down and eating more uh, thoughtfully, then they're not eating as much food because what do diets do? They help us control our calorie intake to the degree that we create some level of a deficit, right? Exactly. Cool. Yeah, that's beautiful. So then you're tracking the habits. And then at what point did you start to realize, okay, habits are good, but is it really the habits that I'm focused on or is it something more? Habits are still cool. Uh, like, like what's funny is what I'm calling skills and guidelines now are still what I was calling habits okay. years ago. The reason I switched over, uh, th there were a couple reasons. It, it's mostly context. It's one of those things where like, um, habits, my clients were always relating to them as if they were, I, they were still getting in the sort of like perfectionism kind of trap where like, oh, I must not have a very strong habit because I did, I didn't have this perfect meal or I didn't handle the situation well, or I didn't do it on Tuesday. So like, I must not have a good habit where what I realized was if related nutrition to everything else we practice in the world, it's like skill building right? Mm -hmm. Like nutrition skills are more like learning to play guitar than they are like following a rule set. They're more like working out than they are like trying to be perfect. And it's like, you can, you can practice playing guitar three times a week and get better at playing guitar, right? You can, mm -hmm. you can work out three times a week and get better at, at, at working out. You can practice a skill like putting the fork down would be bites and then checking in with your stomach and seeing it for full, you can practice that three times a week and get better at it. And so it's, it's one of those things where like for people to hit their goals, they probably want to be more frequent than that, right? They probably mm -hmm. want to ramp up that practice to, to more frequent. But what I really wanted to get at was the fact that these kinds of skills you can get good at by practicing and it doesn't matter if you miss it. Like you don't lose your skill if you, if right. you miss a day. And that's yeah. why I wanted to make that shift. You use a good analogy in the book about a student learning to play the clarinet. You just said guitar, yeah. but same difference is, is to the degree that, you know, when you first get started, it's like you're playing the clarinet in elementary school and you're making a lot of mistakes, right? You're missing all the notes and it sounds terrible. And, and then you're in middle school and you're still missing a ton of notes, but you're playing a little more complex music and then you get into high school and yeah, you're missing some stuff. But again, the degree of complexity, but it's really coming together as compared to in terms of, you know, equating it to skill building, right? Because you're learning yeah. to play an instrument versus taking someone in, and I'm sure you can explain this better, but taking someone and throwing them with the clarinet who's never played before into a symphony. Right. right? As far, <laughs> exactly. Can you just elaborate that a little bit? Yeah. So like when someone gives you a diet, they're like, how about you do everything perfectly? Right. Right. And so it's like being thrown into the symphony and be like, do it right. And, um, and, and it's, it's not, it's not like that at all. It really is like the elementary school band. When someone's an elementary school band, we're not worried about how good they're going to be in high school. Right. Right. Like, like we know it's going to get better. And so it's one of those things where like, okay, so let, let's say we're working on a guideline of like four to six hours between meals without snacking. And we're, we're looking at like, hey, you know what, snacking in the afternoon is, is clearly getting in the way of my goals. And I don't know why I don't, I don't know how to stop it. We, we start putting in like, like this guideline to be like, okay, if it's been four to six hours between meals, I should probably check in and see what's going, what's going on. So like, can, we, can we just take a step oh, back yeah. real quick? So um, just, I'm just curious how you identify that limiting factor. So if you've given someone a guideline that oh, says yeah. our goal is like eat, every four to six hours without snacking in between, which is great. And then how do you identify that if there's a snack in there that's causing them to eat too much? And then how do you approach that? Yeah, good question. Um, so uh, research on snacking shows that most snacking is um, lower quality foods, things that don't keep you as full. Um, it doesn't provide enough 
like like stretch reflex in your stomach to create a lot of fullness. And from a psychological perspective, it doesn't provide a lot of fullness. Yeah. So in general, um, in general, if I've got a client that wants to lose weight, we're looking to have them have like substantial balanced meals right. and snack a lot less. And I've had so many clients that hit all of their goals by just not stress snacking mm-hmm. that um, that's a that's a pretty good place to go. Uh, but that being said, it's a guideline, not a rule. Um, there are people that do really well with snacking. If you are going to snack, you have to manage your total intake in your day a little bit differently. We're pretty good at regulating our intake in like three or four meals. Um, but the research also shows that like when we put in a snack, we don't then change how much we eat later. Yeah. Like, like you could put a snack in between every meal and people will still eat the, still eat the same, exact amount. same amount. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I don't want people to think that they can't snack, um, but the majority of people, <laughs> if they want to lose weight, then um, then looking at snacking is probably a thing. And if we use a simple guideline like four to six hours between meals, if we notice we're always getting hungry, like two or three meals in, hungry, we, we have like a craving for food, we can look at like, am I not having enough food at lunch? Or am I not having a balanced lunch? Or can I check in with myself and, and say like, do I feel this in my stomach? Do, am I craving a specific thing or I yeah. well food? Or does it build and then fade? Or am I stressed out? And most of the time, what they find is that it's like stress, boredom, um, tiredness, you know, so, something like that. And then, and then we can handle that. So the clients that hire me, most of the snack that they're, that they're doing is like stress, boredom, habit, some, something like that. Yeah, definitely. You had some good tangible advice in there saying one good step is to take the snack and combine it with with one of your meals. Yeah. Um, and then obviously that will allow you the freedom to, to actually not eat in between meals. And then you can kind of determine, okay, how am I actually feeling between my meals? And you may or may not even need in that snack. But especially now, I think it's really timely to be talking about, and I don't want to go too far down the snacking rabbit hole, but just with like how we're home, you know, we're home right now during quarantine. It's like, I've noticed for myself, like so frequently, and this is certainly a skill. Like this is certainly something yeah. that takes time and time, yes. repetition and practice and, and, and quote unquote failure to, to acknowledge something that, yeah, I ate that and I really didn't need to eat that, but I wanted to eat it. Why did I want to eat it? Yeah. So now like, especially for the kids, like these kids want to eat yeah. all the freaking time <laughs> and it's so annoying, but it's very, clear, <laughs> it's very clear that they're not hungry. They're just bored and they need yeah. they need stimulation and they want something to do. Like every two seconds, my son's like, can I have a granola bar? Can I have something to eat? Like, dude, let's go jump on the trampoline. Let's go off for a bike ride. Let's go play. Let's do something. Yeah. But we're the same. Like, right. So the same. <laughs> we need something to do it, be a pattern interrupt to like the yeah. stress and the worry and all the fear that we're experiencing. So I'm sure that a lot of people are snacking a lot hence this whole yeah. kind of quarantine 15 or 20 or whatever the hell's going on with that and it makes sense and i suppose to a degree it's okay i guess i'm going to divert a little bit but you just <laughs> wrote an article about um what was the name of your article it was the biggest lie the diet industry ever told you do you want to talk about that real quick sure um yeah so the the article the idea is that the biggest lie the diet industry ever told you is that how you look needs to be like your prime concern at all times. And by extension, your eating needs to be perfect mm-hmm. at all times, right? You need to have like a perfect diet so you can have this perfect body and that's like the most important thing. And um, it's kind of silly because, um, I mean, that gets into both like the body image stuff, like this idea that like, <laughs> like if I fix my body, everything in my life will be perfect. And also this sort of like, contextual thing about the way we approach food in general which is you know like like losing weight shouldn't be the prime thing you're focused on every single meal you have every meal of your life right yes that's weird right (laughs) if if um 
if it's like your wedding anniversary and you're like, I'm going to skip that bottle of wine because I'm on, you know, like that's weird. If it's, if it's your grandma's 90th birthday and she brings out the chocolate cake and you're like, I'm going to skip it. That's, that's, that's weird. Yeah. You know, like it's okay to make different decisions in different situations. And we should consider things like what's the situation? How often does this happen? Am I hungry? What am I feeling? We can look at things like that and make totally different decisions. And so it's one of those things where like, we tend to work on things like self-compassion, which is uh, the whole thing of like checking in with myself and seeing what I'm feeling and being okay with my mistakes and still taking actions in line with what matters to me. But it's okay to also do some self-soothing, which yeah. is I'm just going to do something that feels good. Yeah. And there's a balance that everyone wants to find in their life. And that's, that's also like context dependent. And if people are doing a little bit more self-soothing during the only global pandemic of our lifetimes, I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Like, well, let's hope. Let's hope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, real quick. I know this is a tough time for a lot of us. There's a lot of anxiety, frustration, and fear around the economy and our ability to create a safe and stable future for our families. The stress is piling up and without our usual outlets like the gym, seeing our friends, and man, even just getting out of the house regularly, it's easy to get down on ourselves, stop moving so much, start eating and drinking more, and lose sight of the number one most important investment that we should be making right now, and that's in our own health and fitness. Look, the only thing that we can truly control right now is our health, and really what better time is there to make yourself a priority? If you're ready to take back control of your health so that you can be the father, husband, partner, and leader you know you can be by having the energy, focus, drive, and resilience to thrive physically, mentally, and emotionally, then we need to chat. Just schedule your free nutrition strategy call over at bslnutrition.com forward slash level up, or you can find the link in the episode show notes below. I guarantee you'll walk away from our call with more clarity and confidence around exactly what action steps you can start taking today to build the personal foundation for long-term growth in every area of your life. I'll look forward to speaking with you and enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, no, but I, I definitely appreciated that approach to it because for me, when I kind of fell into the trap that probably every other trainer fell into initially, which is like, we go in lockdown mode and the impetus all of a sudden is like, what a great opportunity this is to right. like eat clean and train your ass off and like, let's just crush this period without acknowledging all of the things that I was starting to experience before it really kicked in, you know, right. like the first yeah. couple of weeks yeah. kick and you're like, holy shit, this is real. This is happening. <laughs> like, oh my God, my stress levels are legit. I'm, I'm seriously feeling uncertain and scared and fearful and worried. Yeah. And not only do I still, you know, like fortunate, I'm fortunate to like still have my job, yeah. but now I have another job of managing my children and right. everything associated with that to the degree that yeah. like, holy moly, like if I can just get through a day without wanting to drink a bottle of wine, um, <laughs> you know, that in and of itself is a win to say nothing of like the body weight training program that I'm crushing and, yeah. you know, tracking my calories and everything. So I think that it's, it's very relevant. And I appreciate yeah. that kind of the idea of the self-soothing, I think you can only take it to a certain degree. You know, totally. it's like, how long can that really last? The first couple of weeks, yeah. Okay, yeah. let's have some more virtual yeah. happy hours. And I get it, you know, you need yeah. some stress outlets and you're going to be eating more. And there was even like a New York Times article, I don't know if you saw it, about how like quote unquote comfort foods were flying off the shelves. Oh, like, yeah. Bags of Cheetos and-, and yeah. And, spaghettios and you know all this garbage because people just like right we need something we need something but yeah. um but at the same time you talk about the self-compassion and and i guess i'll take it yeah. back to the book because you you talk about the difference between setting goals and sort of having goals based on values or focusing more yeah. on values than goals i'd love for you to to dive into that because I think that that's really relatable to where we are. I mean, in general, it's obviously very yeah. salient, but, but specifically where we are, at what point do you need to, you know, acknowledge the self-compassion, limit the self-soothing and, and so on? 
Yeah. So, oh man, that's such a perfect, that's like, like such a perfect place to go. Um, so first, so, so people can get like values versus goals. Goals are anything external, right? It's like, I want to lose weight. I want to hit this number on the scale. I want to do this number of pull-ups or, or whatever. These are things that are external and they're kind of always going to be there. Values are internal. They're intrinsic. They're what do I stand for? What matters to me? What kind of character strengths do I want to embody? And what, what the, the fitness and diet industry tends to do is to only pull from the external kinds of like external goals and not really talk about like values and, and intrinsic motivators mm-hmm. a whole lot. And so we want to pull from there a little bit because it's, it's more robust, right? If, if I sort out the kind of person that I want to be, that doesn't change depending on if I have a quote bad week, right? Right. Like if somebody has a certain goal on the scale and they're off track, you know, they hop on the scale that day and they don't get the right number, either up or down. A lot of times they'll be like, screw it. I'm going to start over next week. Yeah, right? for sure. It'll be, it'll be crushing. And that just kind of illustrates like how fragile, like having all of our, if all of our motivation is tied up in this like external goal, it's just, it's just really fragile. It doesn't last. It's kind of fleeting. It needs to be like constantly refreshed. And so we also want to pull from like, who do I want to be? You know, mm-hmm. do I want to be conscientious or reasonable or connected or wise or you know like we can look at what kind of character strengths we'd want to embody and typically when we get clear about who we want to be that doesn't really change ever right and like it isn't far off in the future it isn't Mm -hmm. like hey when i hit this scale weight you know it's like if if being if being wise is something that that matters to me I could look at making wise choices today. Right. I could look at like, what would my, what would my grandma say about this choice I'm going to make? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I can, I can do that kind of perspective taking and I can do it right now. And I can do it when things are going well, I can do it when things are going poorly. And like you mentioned your kids, like I've got a lot of clients that are parents and they talk about what values do I want to model for my kids? And like, that's right. That, that doesn't change if the scale looks the wrong way, mm-hmm. right? They still want to be that person. It's, it's so much more solid. It's also more work on the front end, right? Yeah. Like you actually have to do some journaling. You might want to look at a values list and pick a few. You might want to journal about the kind of person you want to be about food. Like I was saying, like some perspective taking, like what would I say if I was 80 to myself about this? Or like, who would I want to be looking back? Yeah. It's good to pull from. Oh, the other thing that I always want to say about that is it isn't like we want to get to some magic place where we only pull from values and never have goals, right? Like it's okay to have goals also. Just make sure that your goals line up with your values. Right. I mean, that's super valid. And I think it's really helpful to think about it that way because like you said, the goals can be fleeting. And so it's, yeah. it comes down to specific situations where you can tap into, because, you know, willpower comes and goes, motivation comes and yeah. goes, but the values are always inherently there to the degree that when you're in specific situations, you can always tap into that. There's times when you're yeah. going to be out and about and you're going to be at a party and, and it may have been your quote unquote goal to, to, to lose 20 pounds. And at that particular time, you're just not feeling motivated and you're like, fuck it. But, but, but the values inherently there are like the person that you're consistently uh, being and trying to become and trying to model does, does what the decisions that you're making, do they line up at that time? So are you going to be the type of person to say, ah, screw it all. I'm just going to go hog wild. And, and then it's going to throw me off the, the wagon for the next few days and, and I'll start again Monday? Or am I the type of person to say, you know what, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm going to kind of honor that myself. I'm going to probably eat a little bit more than is appropriate for my specific goals. But at the same time, I know that I'm the type of person that can eat it, not feel bad about it, reel myself in and get right back onto the plan. And that's why I think it's so great that you mentioned it in there that if you have that underlying value system in place, it does create this, this level of accountability consistently. And that's what we need so much of right now. I find myself even um, personally, it's like at the end of the day, am I going to pour another glass of wine? Like, am I going to pour myself a glass of wine? Well, yeah. you know, 
is it something that I really want right now? Is it really in line with my goals? Is it, is it, is it helping me be the person that I want to be? And there's times when it's like, yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, it is. And <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to feel bad about it. But there's other times when it's like, yeah, I want it. But you know what? I don't need it right now. Like I really don't. Yeah. And there's something else I can do. And, and I think those are all the really valid conversations that, that we have with clients. And you're, you're checking in with yourself. Yeah. That's the thing. Right. And that like, that so extrapolates out to like any kind of treats we want to have. Like you actually checked in and you made a choice. Mm. Right. And you're checking in and you're like, you know what? Sometimes I do. And other times like it, this really actually doesn't align with what I'm up to. And, um, and so, so often um, people just don't have time. Right. right? They don't, they don't pause and right. check in. And what's cool is by knowing your values and by taking some time to check in with, with your state in that moment, in that situation, and with your values, you actually get to make a choice. You're actually in the driver's seat. And for most of my clients, a lot of times if they actually take the time to check in, that actually does end up looking like actions that align with their values, mm-hmm. right? I, I mean, hopefully it always looks like actions that align hmm. with their values, but even all, aligns with their goals. Um, and other times what you said that was so key is that when they do check in with themselves and they're like, you know what, right now I actually do want to have this, this piece of chocolate cake with my kids or what, whatever, they don't feel bad about it because mm-hmm. they did choose and they did like chill out and enjoy it. And they did connect with people and they did like notice how it tasted. Mm-hmm. And that's so different from just like inhaling it because you're bored. Yes. And, and to your point of the development of these skills, that is something that has taken a tremendous amount of time and energy and yeah. practice. So it's yeah. things like that because I can see, you know, you see it and I see it in working with clients every single day and people that we surround ourselves with is the mindless disconnect between yeah. their actions or their nutrition behaviors and, and, and being in a certain situation, all of a sudden it's just eat. Just eat, yeah. just drink, just not even thinking about it, despite the fact that they may have some quote unquote goals. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, we see it a lot with people that have kids is we're at the dinner table and they're not eating their food. And all of a sudden it's like, we're eating their food, you know, <laughs> we're eating their food. <laughs> right. And sometimes, okay, sometimes not okay. But the first thing, you know, like you said, is, is checking in and identifying, you know, like identifying what it is that you're doing and then making a decision. Yeah to make that change. Um, I love that you brought up intuitive eating because it's oh, sort yeah. of like this super nebulous realm of, of kind yeah. of going from the tracking world to the not tracking world. And I think you did a, a good job breaking it down into how it can be skills related in terms yeah. of mindful eating versus mindful decision-making. Let's, let's talk about that because I really, um, I like the intuitive eating aspect because it's really not that intuitive if you have the skills. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like the best way to put it ever. <laughs> so I, yeah, let's uh, enlighten us a little bit about how you approached kind of that quote unquote intuitive eating framework. So there's, there are so many cool skills from the world of intuitive eating. I mean, like, and, and for people that, that haven't heard it, it, it really is just like breaking that skill set of like, um, can I notice when I'm, when I'm getting full during a meal? Can I notice when I'm getting hungry? So there, there's elements of the intuitive eating world that are they're very much like entirely unrestricted eating. Eat, mm-hmm. eat whatever you want, as much as you want. Um, try and check in with your own fullness levels and, and things like that. Um, but um, I, I like to put in a little bit of guidelines, you know? And I, I like to have a little bit of like the mindful decision-making yeah, where you are checking in a little bit with your values and you are checking in with like, besides just, am I hungry? Am I full? Like also checking in with like, what else is going on? And so there are, <laughs> what, what I'm getting at is a lot of stuff was pulled out of the intuitive eating world because it really works. And there's also other things that if people are really into intuitive eating will like hate me for. Because <laughs> like, like the guidelines are set up around uh, mindful decision-making. They're, they're sort of like some, you know, like, like we we're saying before, like four to six hours between meals, plating balanced meals, waiting 10 minutes before having a snack. These, these aren't intuitive eating things, but I feel like they're really helpful 
for having people learn to use their intuitive eating skills, right? Yeah, because my whole thing is like, with this concept of intuitive eating, I guess it's, it's sort of in theory, the way I think about it, and I could be mistaken, but I, the way I think that the people think about intuitive eating is, I eat when I want to eat, I eat how much I want to eat, and my body will tell me what I need, when I need it, to the right. degree that if I eat, quote unquote, intuitively, like, then I'm, I'll be good, I'll be healthy, I won't gain weight. The problem I see is that if we are the average person, we have lost touch with what it is that our body needs and lost touch with our senses to the degree that you don't know what you need. Your body wants sugar and fat and salt and therefore is going to crave those things. And it may not be that you're actually hungry and, or thirsty yeah. or bored or whatever. Do you know what I'm getting at here? Yes. Yeah. Like if, if you grew up with clean plate club, you probably right. like were, were taught to dis, like disregard your, your fullness cues at a really early age. Right. And for, and for years. And that's every client I, right. I've ever gotten. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and so just, just that, like people are taught from a very early age to, to disregard fullness cues. But on top of that, like how many people somewhere along the way, learn to manage stress and emotions with food. Exactly. Right. And, um, and so that's another one of those things we're like, just not very good at that. Also food packaging is designed to be like super appealing. Right. Like you mentioned, like salt, sugar, fat, we're wired to love that, you know? Um, in fact, there's some cool stuff on like fullness versus flavor enjoyment. They run on two different tracks. And so something that we can look at is like, hey, you know what? If I'm eating a pretty balanced meal, it's pretty easy to notice when I'm full. And actually, a lot of times flavor enjoyment will kind of like run in parallel with, with my, my own fullness cues. If I'm eating pizza, because pizza is so delicious, my flavor enjoyment will keep on going way past my fullness cues. And mm -hmm. also there's some other things right. like it's, it can be high fat and high fat doesn't have a big impact on our fullness during a meal, but it has an impact on our fullness between meals. And so there, there, there are a lot of situations where it's just really hard, where yeah. it's just really, really hard. It was helpful to add the element of the mindful decision-making. Yeah. That I thought was a really helpful component of this whole kind of intuitive eating idea. And when you can, yeah, yeah I suppose that, when you have these skills in place, then eating intuitively becomes natural, becomes yeah. second nature. Yeah. But, but for someone that doesn't have eating skills, it's like there's no way that. You're not gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and so like if you, if you get into intuitive eating programs, they're, they're very much in the world of like building those skills over time. Yeah. Like they actually do have frameworks for teaching that and things like that. I think mindful decision-making is like a, like a faster route to get there. I think we're I, like, like, exactly like you said, we're trying to go to the same place. Yeah. But it is okay to be mindful of, um, you know, like what, what are my values and how does this relate to my values? It's okay to be mindful of like, when did I eat last? Mm -hmm. It is okay to be mindful of like, if I'm getting seconds all the time, do I just need to plate more at meals? And, you know, like it's, it's okay to look at those other things, you know, and, and to have some frameworks and exactly what you just said. I think it's actually a faster route to getting, to getting both. I think that's our, our mission. That's the whole goal behind all of that. And, and what you lay out so well in the book this is what we talked about in our last episode and so much of what I've learned from you and, and learned from Georgie with One by One Nutrition yeah. as far as all of this habit-based nutrition change and nutrition skills is we want to give people the tools to be able to control their calorie intake in a way that they can, can do forever. You know, yeah. that they can constantly adapt with based on whether they're at home or traveling or at a restaurant. And yeah. those are the types of tools that work so well for people because they don't have to be reliant on 
tracking. And I do believe that tracking can be very beneficial at periodic times, but we all know that it's probably not something that's super realistic for most people all the time. But certainly if we're looking at just like, how do I eat well or eat in a deficit if my goal is weight loss? Well, then you've laid out a lot of the skills necessary to then objectively track. Here's the behaviors, here's the skills involved, implement them, and then you can strategically start to determine how well are you doing with each of those to the degree that then you can say, okay, this one I seem to be struggling with the most. Let's dig into that a little bit. Exactly. Um, and that's, that's really key because if I get a new client and we talk about like that, we're not going to do a diet and we're not going to, we're not going to like track their food. Um, they're like, so free for all. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the thing is, uh, we do still totally track stuff. Yeah. We do still track like, like how many meals they get vegetables at. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and not like the goal is 21 meals a week, but if we go from five meals a week to 15, that's game changing. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to see the numbers and know. Right. And, um, and if we track something like putting the fork down and be bites and, and that goes from like zero, like they've always eaten fast mm-hmm. to like 15 or 20. I mean, like it changes everything. And the cool thing, uh, exactly what you were just getting at is that because we're tracking a behavior, it actually keeps going when they stop tracking. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. Like once they get used to putting the fork down on your bites, usually they like it. They're like, wow, I noticed that I'm full. And also like, oh, I, I can taste my food. And they're like, oh, like I can talk to my family. And they're like, there are all these other things that are cool about it. Um, they, they keep doing that even past tracking. So yeah, we'll, we'll, track, we'll track skills in some sort of a time-limited way. Because I'm a big measuring guy. Like I just yeah. feel like you have to have tangible metrics. Yes. Um, because it's the only way of truly tracking progress, be it subjective or objective. And yeah. you've taken these seemingly intangible concepts and created an objective way to track them, which is cool. Uh, so I appreciate that. Oh, so, so speaking of the ones that, that are kind of a little harder for people to get their heads around, um, I will have clients track how often between meals they check in mm. and on whether or not there's a hollow feeling in their stomach, whether or not it builds and builds or builds and fades, whether or not it's for a full meal or for a specific treat. And like we can track that too. And that is a hard skill. And that is like, like we're going all the way back to like the clarinet in elementary school. Right. It is rough at first. And sometimes they don't know at first, or sometimes they're like, I am stressed and I'm still going to have it. And if we're tracking that over time, they get better. And pretty soon yeah. they're, they're, the, they're mm-hmm. playing the high school composition, you know, and there's a lot less missed notes. That's what it's all about. Hey guys, real quickly, I want to talk to you about my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. This is a comprehensive exercise formula that I personally created after experiencing years of frustration, working with hundreds of individuals and athletes that were not getting the nutrition that they needed before, during, and after their workouts. After using numerous workout powders that were low quality, overpriced, chock full of caffeine and artificial sweeteners and were flat out useless, I said enough is enough and figured out how to create a nutritionally dense, comprehensive, and high quality product with ingredients that you can feel good about taking and giving to your family. When you use Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre, during, and post-workout supplements. You'll save time, money, and energy and get all of the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. It's just the ingredients that you need to give you great natural energy, improve your recovery, and reduce your muscle soreness with no caffeine or artificial sweeteners. You can learn more about our complete essentials at bslnutritionshop.com and check out the show notes below for a nice little discount on your first purchase as my way of saying thank you for listening. That's it. Let's head back to the show. How have you incorporated the training component into this book? Because it's obviously much more than just nutrition. It's lean and strong. Tell me what the biggest differentiator is about the training methodology that you plug into this book and why someone should be interested in it. 
Oh, cool. Um, you know, no one else has asked me about that. <laughs> no one has asked about the training. <laughs> um, one of the coolest things about the strength training program for me is that it shows up the way that I think about the way I design programs for clients. There's a beginner, intermediate, advanced program. And the big differences between those programs are essentially like the complexity of the program and the complexity of the movements. And then each of those programs, or at least the intermediate and advanced, have low volume, high volume, and medium volume. Mm -hmm. And um, for people listening who aren't familiar with the term volume, I keep it even simpler than most. I just think of it as the number of hard sets mm -hmm. in, a, in a program, right? So, um, and people could be in very different places. If, if you're in a high stress time of your life, probably gonna do better with a lower volume program. Mm -hmm. If things are going pretty well, rock out with a higher volume program and, and it'll probably give you a little bit faster path to your goals. Um, also, another thing is like, if someone starts working with me now, I know that three years from now, they're probably going to be doing like double the volume. Maybe not that much, but, but it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big difference, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I gave people was the opportunity to customize that. And so that's, that's cool, right? Like if, if you're um, the same way that I want you to Goldilocks your skill practice with food, I want you to also Goldilocks your workout program. Because I, I do that with my clients. If their life changes and things are way more stressful, we're going to dial back the volume. They're just not going to recover as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, if they can do more volume, that's, that's, a pretty, that's uh, pretty effective. Um, the other thing is I really, really, really like using the strength training as a metaphor for the, for the food skills, right? Yeah. It really is just like, how can we look at this just like we're strength training, right? It's like learning a kettlebell swing. It's like getting stronger in your deadlift. And so having that as a metaphor is, is super, super effective. Yeah. And I suppose even to that degree is you could identify just like movement skills that you want to improve. You've, yeah. you know, like I suck at the kettlebell swing and therefore, you know, like, okay, I need to practice it. So I'm going to plug it in three times a week at the end of my workout so that I can practice or at the beginning of my workout, whatever, that I can practice the kettlebell swing. Same deal with the nutrition is you have a whole myriad of, of nutrition skills that at some point, you know, you want to master depending on sort of what you were already are proficient in and you can kind of identify the areas that you, the skills that you are weak at similar to the kettlebell swing and say, okay, this is the one that I need to practice. I like that. I like yeah. that analogy. Um, exactly. And then it's all periodized too, which, yeah. you know, which is cool so that someone can start your programs and progress. It's, it's set up in a way where that they yeah. can effectively progress. And I actually didn't get to that point, but that's all, all like all the, pictures and exercises are laid out in the book and yeah <laughs> yeah 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 there's um there's full workout cards for all the programs um really cool pictures <laughs> um and uh and yeah so it, it is it is periodized that's that's just a fancy way of saying long-term plan yep and the intermediate programs like kind of like pretty standard block periodization and the advanced program is undulating periodization and all, that's just a fancy word for you will have like a strength day and like a, um, like a higher rep, like endurance day, and then kind of like a medium um, in the middle hypertrophy, yep. metabolic, whatever you want to call it day. Awesome. It's exactly what you said. It's like, if, I, if I've got a client for years, it's going to look different. And so it's almost kind of weird, like the idea of like handing someone a book with like one program. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really difficult aspect, I imagine, because everyone's starting from a different spot. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's but it's nice that, you know, you've got a lot of people have options in there. So yeah. they could always if they're reticent, they could always start with the low volume and progress from there. Or if they're yeah. super competent and feel like go go high volume, go for it and see how you do. It's cool. Um, so lo let's wrap things up. But where can people find the book? Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Um, and you can also get it from on target publications, otpbooks.com. Um, they're shipping faster than Amazon is right now, Okay, but also like Kindle and, and, and you can, um, you can get the book at Amazon if you prefer for work. I would, uh, I would, I would suggest if you guys are, which you should absolutely get the book. Um, I would suggest getting the hard copy or the paperback copy just from, because yeah. Like you've got great graphs in there, Thanks. charts, and, and then like you said, the exercise pictures, which I didn't get to, but I'm sure they're amazing. 
it's just in my experience from a Kindle standpoint, it's like a mess if you're going to use the, yeah. the exercise pictures. So I would shell out the extra few dollars, get the paperback copy, get it shipped. It will be well worth uh, the investment. So make sure you guys do that. The link will yeah. be down in the show notes below. Josh, man, always a pleasure. Uh, thanks, dude. This was great. Yeah, dude. This was, this was really fun, man. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I really enjoyed the conversation. I love this stuff, obviously. It's just yeah. like I was saying to you before we jumped on, when you've been in the industry as long as we have, and you've been through all of the dieting methodology and the habit change, and you've worked with enough clients, then when you stumble upon something like this, you really know that this is where it's at. It's It's the marry between just the nutrition knowledge and the behavioral change and the psychological aspect of it that has to be addressed, you know, in a way that works. And so over the last few years, just, you know, learning from you, learning from Georgie, learning from other people that actually implement behavioral change, this is, this stuff works. It's so much more powerful than the, the dieting methodology. And you said it, you said it well, um, at some point in your book, you said stepping over dollars to save pennies. And that's yeah. the, the current mentality around nutrition and dieting. It's like we're just, we're losing sight of the forest for the trees, right? And, totally. Um, so I appreciate it. You know, and then I want to share that. That's what this podcast is all about. It's just sharing just the, the information that is going to help people make radical change, long-term change in their life. So thanks for everything that you're doing. It's, it's well that's like, book. <laughs> that's like everything I was going for. That's, well, there you have it, dude. Um, <laughs> All right, man. Well, I guess uh, we will catch up again, hopefully yeah. sooner than uh, another, what, 75 episodes or something like that. Nonetheless, uh, if you do come out, yeah, and if you do come out with a new book, we'll have to have you back on. But appreciate it. Keep up the great work. And thanks for everything Thank you, you so do much. in our industry. Thank you. Take care, bud. Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic, and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben, then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.